Hey folks, it's JR. Back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 72, Some Deaths. We're going to hear the statement made by Director Holt, his initial statement to the media. Alright folks, let's get into this episode here. Let's find out what Director Holt had to say about what went on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read a prepared statement at this point. In this statement, I think I've included as much information as I can at this point in time. Of course, the investigation is still very active. Officers are still on the scene. So to go beyond what I have here, I will not be able to do so. On Tuesday, January 11, 1983, at approximately 9 p.m., Officers R.O. Swill and R.S. Hester received a call to 2239 Shannon. The call was from a male who advised the operator that he hadn't done anything but wanted to talk to the police. It is believed that this call was placed in order to lure the officers into the situation. After Officers Swill and Hester made the scene, they entered the house at 2239 Shannon and were immediately jumped by numerous persons. The officers were able to call for help, and other cars were dispatched to the scene. During the initial encounter, Officer Swill was shot in the face and hand by one of the subjects in the house. Officer Thomas Turner, who responded to a call for help, was struck in the head and disabled and had to be taken to the hospital. Several shots were fired at Officer W.R. Aiken, who was able to return fire and escape. Based on statements by, the, by Officer Aiken, we believe at least one of the subjects was hit at this time. The area was sealed off and the attack squad and the hostage negotiation team responded to the scene and efforts began to negotiate the release of the officer. During the early morning hours of Wednesday, January 12, negotiators heard what sounded to be a subject using a police radio taken from the officer. Attempts were made to negotiate over the radio, in addition to using the bullhorn and attempting to establish telephone contact. During this time, from approximately midnight to 4 a.m. Wednesday, there were indications from the officer inside that the officer was being brutalized. However, the decision was made at this time not to attempt to assault the house since it was believed that a pistol was being held to the officer's head and entry could not be gained without meaning certain death to the officer. Repeated attempts were made to negotiate, but the occupants refused to respond. Observation posts were placed in adjoining houses and voices were heard. One voice in particular, believed to be Lindbergh Sanders, was shouting obscenities and threats against the officer's life. Negotiation efforts continued, but no demands were received, and officers were unable to determine what the subjects wanted. At approximately 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning, negotiators heard the officer call out, give them whatever they want. No further word was heard from the officer during the daylight hours Wednesday. Evening. The Memphis Police Department placed two microphones inside the house, which allowed the MPD to listen to conversations inside the house. 
The bullhorn was also used to inquire as to the health of the police officer hostage and other occupants, since it was believed one or more may have been struck during the initial exchange of gunfire. A voice, the same one heard most frequently, replied that his daddy was dead, his brother was dead, and the devil is dead, apparently referring to the police officer as the devil. Shortly after the same voice commented about being cold and bleeding from the arm, monitors were able to pick up sounds of nausea inside the dwelling, and it is believed these sounds were made by one of the occupants. Shortly thereafter, another effort was made to contact the occupants, but the only sound received at this time was moans. In view of the information available and the possibility that some deaths had already occurred, plus the possibility that the voice that was heard belonged to a person that was injured, the decision was made to force entry into the house. Also considered was the refusal of the occupants to communicate or negotiate in any manner. At approximately 3 a.m. this date, forcible entry was undertaken by the tax squad and several tear gas grenades were ejected into the house. Members of the tax squad storming the front door were fired on as they entered the living room of the house. Gunfire was returned by the tax squad. The battered body of the police officer was found just inside the front door. His hands were cuffed behind his back. There were indications he had been dead a number of hours. As the tax squad members proceeded through the house, they were again met by gunfire as they reached the second room. The gunfire was returned. There were seven male blacks inside the house, all of whom were fatally shot. Identification of those of these persons are being withheld pending notification of next of kin. The medical examiner has determined that all seven of these persons were killed during the assault. During this ordeal, the Memphis Police Department has attempted to utilize the accepted principles of negotiations, which dictate that negotiations or attempts to negotiate continue as long as there is a reasonable indication that the hostage is alive. When the indications were that the officer and possibly others were injured or dead, the decision was made to force entry into the house. Ladies and gentlemen, that is all I will be able to say at this time. As additional information becomes available, we will make it available to you. Thank you. Let's go over a few of these things in this statement here. Uh, the first one would be the uh, initial belief that the officers were alert to the house, that it was just a, a bogus call to get the police there. We we know that's not true. That That, that is not true. In fact, at the end of the investigation, it will show that that wasn't true, that Michael Coleman made that call after getting a call telling him that the police were looking for him. We've also seen through going through the case file that from the surviving members that uh, Lindbergh Sanders really wanted to get this situation resolved. He was just trying to defend Michael Coleman. The fact that Lindbergh Sanders was a mental consumer is 
what touched off the incident at the house, and I'll never believe that it was a, a planned attack on the police. Now, at the next thing on here that uh, obviously the where is that at down here? Uh, he definitely was correct. The officer was being brutalized. It's amazing that uh, the hostage being brutalized doesn't seem to fall under the the category of we must go in to save the hostage. Now, it gives the excuse that they didn't assault the house because there was a pistol being held to the hostage's head. So uh, I think that was an incredible command decision to say, well, let's don't go in because there's a pistol to his head. Let's just let him die a slow, torturous death. All right. Next on here, talks about negotiation efforts continue. No demands were received. Okay, well, that's not negotiations. There never were any negotiations. So that, that's ridiculous. You forgot to mention that as well. That's the other part. You shouldn't attack you to the end if the hostage is being harmed or you think he's being harmed or he's about to be harmed. All the above. And you, you go in if there are no negotiations. There were no negotiations. So pretty well all the blocks are checked for you send attack unit in. My goodness. That kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? So why didn't they go in, Mr. Director? All right. Now, what's next here? Talks about hearing the sounds of uh, coming from Lindbergh Sanders. All that does is say that, yeah, there are people wounded inside the house. He didn't mention that the officer was wounded. Other than he did mention he thought he was being brutalized, but... Then he talks about the, uh, let's see, what does he say? He says, well, he believed they had people injured in the house and that there was a refusal of the occupants to communicate or negotiate. Now, you know, I would think you wouldn't wait 30 hours for that to happen before you went in there. So then he talks about the attack unit going in. He wasn't quite right about where they entered, though. They came in through the back of the house, not the front of the house. Everything else he goes through here, and I guess that's it. It's just ridiculous. Um, now, he does say down here at the bottom, the police department attempted to utilize the accepted principles of negotiation. No, you didn't. Now, he says that negotiations, let's see, uh, which dictates negotiations or attempts to negotiate continue as long as there's a reasonable indication that the hostage is alive. No, that's wrong, Mr. Director. Uh, 
Then he talks about indications that the officer and possibly others were injured or dead. The decision was made to force entry. Well, see, he actually made a statement that uh, he believed that the, or the belief was that Officer Hester was already dead. Now, if you believe Officer Hester is already dead, the only hostage, then why go in the house? You, there's no reason to go in the house. Why force entry? The, the one reason to go into the house, there is no longer a reason. So you might as well sit out there and wait them out. This idea that you're going to force entry to go in to save people who have been shot, who are grown adults and don't want to come out, so you're going to put more police officers at risk and send them in there to accomplish what? They they shot and killed the seven suspects. So now the, the eight people that are in the house, they're all dead. So I, I would I would give this this negotiation siege a, a probably about an F. But we're going to get into some more of that later. In fact, maybe next episode or for the next two or three episodes, we're going to go through the siege at uh, St. Jude, which occurred eleven months prior to this siege. Yeah, the siege with hostages being held. Different mayor and a different police director, and things went much different. And the reason we're going to go over St. Jude is so you can look and see how a hostage situation is supposed to be conducted. And then we're going to compare it to Shannon Street. And we're going to compare the two of them. And then you're going to have the same question everybody else does. is well, why in the world did one go so right and the other one go so wrong? And we're going to narrow it down. And we're going to look and see why it did. All right, folks. That's going to be all for this episode here. We'll be back in a few days and get our next episode in. And we'll probably do St. Jude next. Probably. Now before we leave here, I got my little red block up there. That was 1990. That was a that was my first year as a patrolman, South Precinct. My hair was brown then. <laughs> Not anymore. All right, folks, I do appreciate y'all tuning in for this episode here. I'm really proud of myself. I didn't use any bad language, but I sure want to. All right. We're going to get back together here a few days, get another episode in. This investigation will march on. Folks, I appreciate you. And as always, I'll see you down the road. <laughs>